It's a considered privilege for me to be here tonight with you. I'm humbled by your presence that you would come, knowing it was me who was going to preach. Now, I know you didn't come because of me per se, but it didn't keep you away, and for that I'm grateful. And someone said, when I came in tonight, I was shaking some hands, and he said, well, you got a black suit on it. Kind of dark, you know. I said, well, it's usually a funeral suit, I suppose, but I just grabbed it out of the closet with a couple other suits and brought it and thought I'd wear a bright shirt and knock the edge of the blackness off. My message, though, tonight is quite serious. It won't have necessarily an ominous tone or anything like that, but I have a responsibility. My call is to preach the gospel in its fullness and its entirety as God gives it to me. And I learned a long time ago, don't take anything for granted. Amen. And to that end, one of, the, one of the most profound thoughts or that was conveyed to me by an actual event was this. Never, ever assume everybody sitting under your voice at any given time, is saved. Twice I've been blindsided by individuals who were outstanding, apparently to everybody, including myself, the epitome of Christianity. And the events of certain services as they unfolded brought these individuals to an altar where they confessed they weren't saved at all. One head backslid, the other one said, and this was after 40 years, he said, well, I just kind of followed my wife. She was saved when we got married, and so I just kind of followed along with her. Staking his eternity on assimilating the behavior of his wife. You think about that. Now, I may be going out on a limb tonight. It's Saturday night. What are the odds that a sinner would come to church? I know that we're in a number of homes via the Internet tonight, maybe speaking to you in just a little bit. But I know and I believe with all my heart that God has given me this, and I've got to go with it. So would you bow your head for just a minute? And, Father, we just pray quickly that you would help us through these thoughts and guide our very uh, mind that it would fall on the words and scripture that you would have us to convey to this good audience. And if there's someone here tonight, Lord, given the severity of this message, I pray they would reconsider where they are with you. We know that your word says you're not willing that any should perish, but each should come. Everyone should come to repentance. So if there's one here that's that knows they are they're just flat lost. There may be some here that's just not sure. If they should meet you tonight, they're not sure where they'd stand. So we just pray that your will would be wrought and worked in each one of our lives. And we thank you for the music, for Brother Tony's invitation, for this congregation. You know how we love it. Your will be done in everything we say and do. And to God be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you turn your Bibles with me to Luke, chapter 16, 
And the Bible students amongst us know that contained in this chapter is a story that's renowned and has been turned inside out, upside down, every which way to Sunday, been preached tens of thousands, if not millions of times over time. And I'm not going to bring the entire text and preach it long and broad and all applications and everything. I am going to lift but one word out of our text tonight and pray that God will use it to stir your hearts. Before I do it, though, I know these young people may think that I'm picking on them. But you'll know as the message unfolds why I'm going to read this text for the young people here tonight. It's found in Ecclesiastes 11 and 12. This is not my message, nor the text, but young people, this is for you in laying the foundation for what you're going to hear in just a minute. Rejoice, young man and young woman. My word's not scripture, but it is for all of us. Rejoice in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth and walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh for childhood and youth or vanity. But listen to this on the heels of that. Remember your creator in the days of your youth while evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when you shall say, I have no pleasure in them. A lot of regrets. I read that because we're going to be kind of reviewing life a little bit for those that have lived for a while, but even you kids have lived long enough and made some choices. Maybe you have some regrets. I know all of us do. It's the reason we got saved. Our regrets brought us to a place where that there was no joy in the days and in the choices we had made thus far. But in quick review of Luke chapter 16 and the verses that contain the, the story, the accounting, the reality, and the events that unfolded in the life of the rich man and the life of Lazarus. Verse 19 says that there was a rich man and he was clothed with fine clothes and he fared very well every day. There was another man, Lazarus, who laid at his gate. He was a beggar, full of sores, and the only medicinal remedy he received was when dogs came and licked his sores. With the passing of time and according to the will of God, as it will for all of us, but in that day it fell to them that Lazarus died and was carried into the presence of God. The rich man died and he was buried. Now, obviously, I'm not reading this. I'm kind of working off memory and referring to it. So if I feel like I'm adding or taking away from the word of God, I'm not, that's not my intention. I just want to hasten along. And the rich man, when he died and he was buried, he, he, he wound up, he ended up in hell. Now, now, I want to make this point. I know your pastor's done a great job with it and other ministers before me, and they'll come after me, but just let me put my spin for a quick second on it. This is not a parable. This is not a comparison of anything else. It's not a story that Jesus came up with to kind of put fear in people's hearts to force them out of that fear 
to follow him. These, this was an actual occurrence. The rich man is still in hell tonight. And Lazarus is still presiding in the presence of a sovereign, eternal God. So in hell he lifted up his eyes, and being in torments, he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he, he cried out, and, he, and, and boy, I'll tell you, the word of God is clear, it's concise, it's entire, but I can assure you that the word crying out does not begin to convey how the rich man tried to get a hold of Abraham's attention. Father Abraham, well, we'll not get into who that probably really was, but nonetheless. And so he cried and, and said, have mercy on me. Now I want you to catch something. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to get me out of this place. Send Lazarus to do something to try and comfort and ease my pain. Send, send a doctor, a physician, to put salve all over my body. And he's screaming in torments. I've always found this to be an unbelievable contrast with the torments that were unfolding in his life. He didn't ask for a bucket of water, a cup of water, a ladle of water, a spoonful of water. He wanted a drop of water on the tip of a man's finger. To touch his tongue, and he felt like if but a drop of water could be released on my taste buds, it would somehow alleviate my pain. I'll not go in after the next thing I'm going to talk about. You can read the rest of the story, you know it anyway, but some other bad news came. You can catch that later. But what I want to focus on tonight is in verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember, Have you ever thought what that must have meant to the rich man? Remember. Everyone here, whenever God said, let us create man in our own image, and he took some dust, and from the dust of the earth he created man, and breathed in man the breath of life, he became a living soul, and a little while later he created Eve, his wife took one of his ribs and did that, and put him there to to just live in the lap of luxury. They sinned and were cast out and the rest is human history. But whenever God did that and created that, our bodies and its perfection, He gave us our five senses so that we could taste and touch and see and hear. Probably missed one right there, but there's another one. Well, smell, thank you. And so that was for the, the, the enjoyment of life to bring us a fair measure of happiness born out of those five senses. And those five senses were reside or part and parcel to the bodies that he made, our hands and our feet and our legs. Those things that allow us to pursue life and 
our hopes and our dreams, our aspirations to take us places of enjoyment and entertainment to the very house of God. And so on and on, in our blood and our corpuscles, our mind, our brain, and all of these things were given. And God's perfection, so that we not only would come to a place we can accept Him and know Him, surrender to Him and know life eternal, but here in this life, have a good life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I read to you kids that, the, 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 that Solomon said that God told him to tell you to pursue happiness, to choose things that, that make you feel good, but know that you're going to give an account for everyone, so make your choices carefully. God doesn't want us to be sad. He wants us to be glad. He wants us to be happy. But therein lies the rub. Because we're carnal, because we're defined by our flesh, a lot of the choices that make us happy are not good for us and they're not good for our eternity. And so God, in all of that creation with regard to you and I, he placed inside of us somewhere or another a memory bank. And it is one of life's single greatest assets. Just ask somebody with Alzheimer's or its onset what memory means to them. And from our earliest age, memory kicks in and works for us. Babies remember when they first hear mama or dada. Nobody ever really told them, but they knew how if they screamed long enough, they'd get something to eat. And memorizing that, they do it again the next day. Well, actually, the next 10 minutes, but nonetheless. And so our memory kicks in from the very get-go. And sitting here tonight, all of you have some wonderful memories. We remember our first date, our first kiss. I remember my first car, wish I still had it. I remember my wedding day, I remember the birth of my children, I remember the day I got saved. We all have those pinnacle, high point things in our life that become endearing, and one song says, precious memories, how they linger. So memory is a wonderful thing. I know you kids wish you had a better memory when you take a quiz or semester exams. So did I. Us men wish we're, our memory was a little better when we go home without what our wives told us to pick up at the store. So while memory can surface good, it's, it's finite, it's limited. It can be a little bit evasive and and those types of things, but it's a wonderful thing. But if you die lost, it's the worst thing God ever did to you. The absolute worst thing that God ever give you in this life will in eternity be your memory. And so, word came to him and said, well, here how, here's how it is. 
I don't need to preach to you. I don't need to give you a lot of facts. I, I don't need to prove anything to you. No, he just said to the rich man, I'm just going to tell you this. From here on out, in the place that will never end, where you are tormented to the extreme that you could have never imagined, and all of the horrors of that hell that envelops you, in addition to that, I want you to remember. Insult to injury. Hell would be bad enough if you just burned but were never consumed. But to remember and know by that memory you could have made choices that would have kept you from going there, that only piles on the torment. So I want to talk maybe about three aspects of that that I think will be at the top. There may be a million things. You'll have, there is no number because there is no end to eternity. So I can't tell you obviously how many years in people will have remembered any number of things. But at the top of that list, because time after time, they'll revisit their memories. It's not like they'll, they'll think it once and it's gone, but it'll be a recurring thought. And I believe tonight I have possibly three of those. And if you're here tonight and you're not where you need to be, if you're lost and you know you are, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you're at home listening to me tonight, what I'm about to share with you, I hope, will make an indelible impression on your attitude towards God and the things of God. And quite possibly, this would be your day of salvation. In Psalms 137, verse 1, the psalmist said, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yes, we wept when we remembered Zion. This is, speaks, obviously, well, not obviously to everybody, but those that have studied their Bibles to any degree, we know that this speaks to uh, uh, the, the, the people of God, uh, the Jews, in their captivity. And he's recollecting those times, and, and if you read, read on in these verses, it says, they desired of us a song, to sing us songs of mirth and to be merry. And he said, how, how can we sing a song in a strange land? How can we sing a song? In, and, and so it's just real telling on a people, the writer reflecting on that, through his memory of what they had, and it is no more. Zion, under grace, is a type of the church or the kingdom. When Zion travails, she'll bring forth children. When the church travails, people will be brought to Christ, is the thought. And there's, there's others, so but let's hasten on. And so in hell tonight, there's a lot of people that are remembering the days when they went to church. 
There'll be that one who quite possibly was taken to church by his parents and or grandparents and then drifted away and never returned. There may be that one that as a young person or a young married individual or maybe mid-years found Christ and attended church and then through circumstances and poor choices and temptation and the succumbing to those, they quit going to church. There may be those who attended church in a revival meeting, a camp meeting, just on a plain, ordinary, mundane, for all intent and purposes, a Sunday, and they came and sit in the back of one of our pews in the back of our church house. They came and they went and we never saw them again. But for, for our message tonight, there'll be untold millions of people that are fairly acquainted with the church and they turned their back on it and now they're in hell. An opportunity to know Christ, come to Christ, be with people of God, the church as a, not an organization but an organism, the body of Christ and could have joined with that, been encouraged by that, taught through it, uh, delivered from things because of it, just any number of ways of applying this. They had an opportunity. Now you say, well, but the rich man, he wasn't under grace. They didn't have, I, they had synagogues, they had, you know, these types of things, so they didn't have organized. Yes, but you can be sure that he knew the law. I'm quite sure this rich man was well acquainted with the law. Those things that taught Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, a number of things that would have applied, that would have caused him, had he ascribed to that, implemented and embraced that, rather embraced and then implemented, those things, it would have meant a world of difference for old Lazarus who begged at his gate, wouldn't it? But he turned his back on that as a little boy, a young man, married man, a successful man, for whatever reason, he chose not to follow God with people who did. Everyone tonight in hell would give a world and a million like these if they could come to church and know the privilege you have tonight. If you're unsaved here tonight, don't squander this opportunity. I don't, want, I don't want to be an alarmist. Uh, I'm not going to be theatrical. But I, I, I want to Im, impose on you this idea that if you're not careful, you may end up in a place not too far, from, from, not too long down your road and regret the squandering, the wasting, the ignoring, the turning your back on this precious opportunity you have to accept Christ tonight. One can only imagine, now Jesus, we're talking 2,000 years, roughly just about since Jesus was here and preached these messages, and so for 2,000 years, last, or the rich man has had a lot of time to go back in his mind would to God I'd have went to synagogue. Oh, how I wish I would have listened to my mom and my daddy when they told me about the law. And for you tonight, 
To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And weren't we all taught as children, you need to go to church. You're going to church as long as you live, my dad told me, as long as you live in this house under my roof, I'm paying a bill, you're going to church, boy. <laughs> and I'm glad he did. Nonetheless, somehow or another, it is foreign, I believe, because I'm, I'm bound to be talking to somebody to which this message applies. And so going to church, being a part of the church experience is not foreign to you. It may be uncomfortable because conviction comes. It may be uncomfortable because you feel like a hypocrite because you don't show up or you haven't been here in a long time, but, but people will love you. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to alienate you or ostracize you. I mean, you just come on. They'll be glad you're here, and we're glad you're here tonight. We're glad you're viewing tonight. And so part of the, the experience of hell with regard to the torment will be remembering, I sat in a church house. There was an altar less than 50 feet. No one, I don't think, is more than 50 or 60 feet from this altar in this building tonight. I sat that close. For all intent and purposes in this church house tonight, you have your fingertips on glory. Be careful you don't slip into hell lost. You're this close to heaven and that far, rather, this close to hell and that far from heaven. So he regretted his abandonment of what we'll just call his religion. And then within that religion contained then the things of God. So by virtue of his abandonment of the church, he tended, had a tendency, I suppose, it could be said, abandoning God. And so it was said to him, you remember that. Don't remember so you can think on it and next time make a better decision. Don't remember it so that you can apologize for it and make it right and do better the next time. No, it's done. It's over. Read the rest of this chapter, and you have many times, but if you haven't in a while, read it, and there's a finality to it. There is no escaping there's a great gulf fixed. And nobody's going to come from there, and nobody's going to come from here. And so it's done. Now just remember the opportunities you had to embrace God. The second one, we'll move to the New Testament, and it's, we're well acquainted with this that has to do with the centers around the crucifixion. In Mark, we'll use Mark chapter 14, 72. And the second time the cock crew, and Peter called to mind, and Peter remembered the word that Jesus said unto him, before the cock crow twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought thereon, when he remembered, when he recalled the words that Jesus said, he wept. One gospel says that he went out and wept bitterly. 
Peter had said, though all men forsake you, though all men deny, though all men go away from you, and you know, it was all, you can ascribe it all to that one sentence he made, I won't. Jesus said, yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. And so he did, and he remembered, and he went and went bitterly. So in hell, then, how does that, well, I guess my question would be, what did Jesus ever do to you? We could title a message, what has Jesus done for you, and preach to the sinner that way. But I would ask, what has Jesus ever done to you that you would deny, you would betray, you would turn your back on him? The very son of God, the very rose of Sharon, the very one that God gave in our stead to die on Calvary's cross to redeem us from a sinful life that we could inherit eternal life. It is only through Jesus that one can find eternal life. It is the only way. And for you to live with reckless abandon and to ignore the very Son of God, you are not just an extremely hard harm's way, you are setting yourself up for an eternity without help, without hope, and where the torment never fades, and your memory will be sharp as it ever was. And you'll remember what you did with Jesus every time Jesus spoke to you through his spirit. Now we know that when we get saved, we plead the blood of Christ to atone for our sin. We ask God to forgive us of it, and so he confers forgiveness on us. And we get up from the altar believing that the Holy Spirit is given in order that we can live victorious over sin. So those three work hand in hand, three in one, the Trinity. Having said that, though, we, we feel very much like, for when we pray, Christians, when we pray, we feel like Jesus, in, when our faith has just reached a pinnacle that it needs to, and we, and we get a hold of heaven's door or heaven's gate or the throne of God, however you express it, the comfort that comes, the peace and the settledness that comes, we feel like Jesus is right there with us. I remember whenever I got saved, the morning I got saved in January 1973, standing in a, almost to the back of a church house like a, a lost goat that I was, always did, didn't want to get close to that altar, didn't want nothing to do with the front of that church, much less the people that were up there praying and conveying the things that God had done for them. So I just kind of thought I'd just kind of sit here and just observe that and get out of here before everybody can attack me. Many, many times I just thought, sure, either God was going to strike me dead or Jesus just loved me so that he was just going to kind of just drag me up there whether I wanted to or not. I'm just so compelled to go to the altar. Neither one happened, obviously. But for the sinner in hell, he'll remember. Jesus said, I'm a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He proved his love for you 
in spite of what you are, who you are, what you've done, and what you're still doing. He went to a cross and died for you. Oh, I know he died for the world. I know he died for whosoever will. We understand the dynamic of all of that. But when you get saved, what is so endearing to the Christian experience of, of many, one of them is we know, we believe that had no one else been worthy of the Son of God, Jesus would have died for me. And how often has that, that, that thought come to your mind of the great price that Jesus paid for you on Calvary's cross? The time and the effort that He makes on your behalf that the Spirit can come and woo you and deal with you and talk with you. How many times has God with angelic hosts, the very Son of God, surrounded you and protected you and kept you from harm's way? And I'm just a firm believer. And, and how many times, listen, has Jesus made intercessory prayer? We can't talk enough. We don't have enough time. Our vocabulary is limited as to who Jesus and what he is and what he means to us and what he means to you, sinner, tonight. And I know you don't fully realize what you're doing. But when you're judged, and if you land in hell, you won't be judged for what you fully could grasp and what you are doing at any given time. You will only give an account for the choice that you made. Whether you chose to accept this Christ of Calvary, this Christ who's the Son of God, whether you chose to acknowledge Him to the degree that you would give your heart and your life to Him, or once again would spurn, the old song said, the invitation. And turn your back and walk away. Walk away. I can assure you that in hell, probably more than any other name, there's probably two, well, I know there's two names. Either they're screaming for God or they're screaming for Jesus Christ. They'd take either one to come and help them some way or another. But they'll remember. They'll remember quite possibly someone here tonight do you remember, if you can, and if it happened, your mother saying to you with a fevered brow or an upset tummy or a rash or a high fever, and she sang the songs of Jesus. As toddlers in uh, Sunday school, uh, first, one of the first songs we learned, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And on the heels of that, in close proximity to that, probably a little harder tune, Jesus loves little children of the world. <laughs> We've known about Jesus all our life, haven't we? We've heard about him. We've sang about him. When we didn't deserve it and our prayers didn't go past this, they didn't even get to the ceiling. But we called on him anyway. I had a woman got saved one time and she was sharing an experience before she got saved that she'd been kidnapped, taken out into a, a field of high grass where nobody could see and a man was going to do her harm and he was going to rape her and threaten to kill her and all kinds of manner of evil and everything else and she was unsaved she said and she prayed 
And a few minutes later, the man kind of rethought what he was doing and, and thought maybe this isn't a good idea. And so he, I don't remember what she said, took her to the road or just kicked her out of the car and turned her loose. But none of that was done, and she lived to tell the tale. And she said, I just know God heard me. I said, listen, I'm going to tell you something, Mary. God didn't hear you. And we know the Bible says that, you know, if you're unsaved, God doesn't hear a sinner. But I'll tell you what he did hear. Your grandmother that morning may have whispered a prayer on your behalf. And so God protected you. You may have had a loved one or a Sunday school teacher. Somebody somewhere in your life prayed for you and God honored that and said, I know what's coming. I'm going to answer that prayer and spare her life. So what's Jesus ever done to you? He's done all manner of good and nothing evil. And in hell, you'll second guess yourself a bazillion times, a bazillion times over when you remember the name of Jesus and you refuse to accept him as Lord and Savior. I can't imagine, I can't imagine. I know that hell has been preached and, and people are abandoned from the presence of God and the Spirit of God, and that's all true, and that's, I've, I've preached that, I've tackled that. But having said that, part and parcel of that, can you imagine being in a world where there was no hope of getting to God, God getting to you, God doing anything for you, because there was no Jesus? Salvation granted by God is an exercise in futility if you take Jesus out of the equation. Now, God can do whatever he wants. He could forgive you just because he said, all right, I'll forgive you. I know you can do better, and I hope you do better. But no, we know that Jesus plays an integral part of that. And so in hell, you're going to wonder. You're, you're not only going to second guess, you're going to wonder, what, what, I know what I've done, but how could I have done that? You've been warned, you've been taught, you've been sang to, you've been preached to. Time after time, Jesus has given you opportunity to come to him. But there's a moment in time, like the rich man, there is an imperceptible line between here, a line between here and hereafter. The temporal and the eternal. And you're going to cross it. And when you do, and if you lift up your eyes in hell, being in torment, You'll never get past the flame. But somehow, some way, because the rich man was told to do so, we know that it can be done. You'll remember. You'll remember the church you failed to attend because you didn't think it held much for your life and its happiness and your aspirations and your pursuits. That while you didn't necessarily curse Christ and didn't blaspheme Christ, at least you tried not to, you tried to have a healthy respect for Jesus. You never could come to the place with which you would accept him. With outstretched arms. I'm telling you, sure as I'm standing here, Christ, if we could see him, would stand up here tonight with his arms outstretched, bidding you to come to him. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. Aren't you glad, Christian, when you come to the Lord, one of the greatest things ever happened, the burden of sin, the load of sin. Burdens are lifted, we sing at Calvary. I sure don't want to go to hell. 
remembering I had the very one who could have kept me from going there. You see, the church can't keep you from going to hell, but they can point you to the one who can. But we turn our backs on him and make our way towards hell. Third point, third regret, I would lift from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. Paul writing, and he says this, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet or worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now, I'm not going to get into all those. You, you know what Paul did. And he was a wicked, wicked man and a religious man, a zealous man, but he's just on the wrong side of the law. And when he realized that, he got saved and come under grace and was a great man of God. But at one point, in this verse, we can, we can know the mind of Paul in this particular moment because he's remembering. He's remembering that he had persecuted the very people of God. I believe in hell. Many people tonight, and if you're not careful, you'll be one of them. You say, well, I've never, I've never, I've never persecuted anybody. I've never kicked anybody. I've never, I've never taken on a Christian because I didn't like them and slapped them or did anything mean to them. I'm not that kind of guy. Yeah, but have you ever kind of snickered at them? You ever found fault with them? You ever second-guess their convictions and think, you know, I don't know how they can do that, but I wouldn't do that. In your arrogancy and your pride, you think you're kind of loftier and you've raised yourself above that? Now, you may never slap or hit or spit or curse them, but in your mind and in your spirit, you persecute the church. Hmm? You don't like them. Don't tell me you like them. And I know you don't like them, and surely because of that you don't love them. You may have some respect for them. You may tolerate them, but I sure don't want to be one of them. And in your spirit, in your mind, and in your heart, there's a persecution about that. And you think, as anyone who persecutes and torments or takes advantage of someone else, you're better than they are, and they deserve what you're offering them. You don't think much of them. So they're going to incur your wrath if you was a, a torturer or a tormentor. But they're going to incur your negative thoughts. God sees every one of them. He knows the very thought and intent of your heart. And looking back on your own life, if you'd be honest, it's the people of God that never betrayed you. It's God's people that never forsook you. It's God's people that loved you in spite of yourself and no matter what you did. Can you say that about your worldly friends? If you can, you got better friends than I had. <laughs> I thought they were pretty good guys. And they were all right guys. But they were loyal to three entities and three alone as I was, me, myself, and I. And so, in hell, you'll look back 
at revival meetings and watching the smiles and the raised hands and the songs of Zion and the praises of God and the honest hearts that prayed and evangelists that tried to woo you and, and convince you that not to split hell wide open but make your way safely to that eternal shore otherwise you'll live a world of regrets for an eternity without end. You'll remember those kinds of things. And I know the older we get, and young people again, I'm wanting to stir your memory now because you're old enough, you've made some memories in church and uh, in the kingdom and all things. And I know when we get older, we, get, we, we begin looking back and fond memories and all of that, but all of us can remember without getting old and, uh, you know, that type of thing. Uh, we remember days. When? Some of my most endearing memories are born out of the days that when I went to the house of God, and I know there was that area, I know I was a, I was an, a heathen, uh, I didn't want to be in church for a few years when I, when I become a teenager and I was smarter and I knew everybody than everybody else and all of that, that teenagers in my rebellious years until I got saved. So it was that window, I understand that, but even in those years, some of these things that I'm about to share with you uh, would be visited or I would experience, and they were these. From my earliest memories, church was always a good place. The people of God were always good. Now, right now, I'm just going to stop because a sinner, either viewing on camera or here tonight, is thinking, yeah, well, preacher, if you're, if you're going to be deadpan honest with me tonight, there are some Christians in church that are just sorry. They're just sorry people. First of all, shame on you. Second of all, I would agree with you. But those people are backslidden or hypocrites. They're not the people of God. <laughs> In any organization, anywhere you get people, whether it be worldly, whether it be religious, or any organization, you're going to get people that just won't step up and fully represent by example, by choice, and by behavior and general living, reflect that which they say they belong. The church is no different. So get your eyes off of the, the devil, off of his crowd in the church, professing but not possessing, the hypocrite, the backslider, the pretender, the on again, off again. Get your eyes, listen, there's people you know in the church that you admire and you deeply respect. And you know a number of these people have prayed for you. And I know when growing up, People prayed for me and God delivered me. People prayed for me and God healed me. People prayed for me and the need was met. People bathed me in their prayers and they bathed me in their love. Even when I was a sinner and a rogue and rebellion and I didn't have a smile on my face and I just, I just couldn't hardly stand to be around them, they'd hug me whether I liked it or not. They'd shake my hand whether I extended or not. They'd tell me they loved them if I didn't say it back. I mean, they were just so good to me. I'd go out of there like a little old dog with his head down a pouting and looking for a place to hide. They brought it down on me. And I love them for it. And looking back at the church picnics and my youth meetings and my youth leaders, my Sunday school teacher, I can still tell you some of their names. I can still say some of the songs they sang. I can, st I can still tell you, and I could tell you, you know why? Because I remember and they had good memories that I'll carry to my grave. And sinner, you know what I'm talking about. So I would ask, what has God's people done to you? They've only been good to you. They've only loved you. 
They've only set a bar and a standard, an example for you so as to give you confidence. Because often I would go out of that church house saying, lost as I was when I went in, but going away saying, I would to God I could live like those people. They had something I wanted. They were doing something I needed to do. They were going somewhere I knew I wasn't going to unless things changed. And I remember, and you can be sure tonight there's people in hell that have those same memories. They can tell you the name of their Sunday school teacher, their youth leaders, those in the youth group. They can tell you who sang the specials, who played the instruments. They could probably name a number of the pastors that came and went. Camp meetings they attended, vacations they took, all things religious and the names and the faces will come alive. I believe because it was told to the rich man, remember. I, I believe that memory will be on a plane that is superior to our humanity's memory bank. It is just part and parcel to the misery, the suffering, the torment, the damnation of eternity's hell. So we have before us tonight <clears throat> this kind of insight, I believe, into what came to the rich man's mind. But let's leave him out of it. Let's bring it into those who have died and lived as you have in the 20th and 21st century. David said, in closing, I've got two more scriptures I'm going to share. We're going to, Proverbs 51.3 said, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He wrote Psalms 51, a penitential psalm. It's a great psalm. Many of you have read it. You know it. You've you know, memorized some of it probably. And he said, I, I've acknowledged what I've done. And it's constant, it's before me. I remember it. You can be sure. For example, when he held that dead baby, that his mind went back to that awful, fateful choice he made when he saw Bathsheba and said, bring her to me. Not a lot of joy there. But he remembered it, and he said, my sin is ever before me. But sinner, I, wanna, I want you to know something here tonight. Listen to this. Um, God's got a memory. Did you know that? God's not only now and, and tomorrow, but God's yesterday. Let me read something from Hebrews. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, and will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Our sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered anymore. We stake our eternity on that, do you not? Do you not believe that to make heaven you will not give an account with sin in your life? It's been forgotten. It's been erased. It's been atoned. It's been forgiven. You've been delivered. Jesus told the individual, he said, go and sin no more. 
And so it is our attempt, it is our prayer, it is our heart's desires, our motivation, everything within us, we want to stay out of the sin business. But God said, those things that you've done, I'll write my laws into your hearts and you'll live for me and I'll not hold that against you anymore. Now, sinner, listen. Wouldn't you rather go to a place? If you can live in this world with God having forgotten your sins, won't it be nice to go to a place where you can't remember your sins? <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Because I got a memory bank and I've got some regrets. I made some mistakes. I made some poor choices. I did some harm. I paid some prices. Whenever God saved me and delivered me, He's never held it against me. He forgave it and listened to me. He forgot it. fellow come to church one Sunday morning and the conclusion of the service he waited on the pastor at the back door when, he, when the preacher got there he said preacher said I talked to God today and the preacher says he knows that we pray and we talk to God but he, he, his, his, he was of a bent that he actually saw spoke and visibly talked to God well, the preacher didn't want to offend him and, and speak to it too long, so he said, well, that, that's, that's good, my brother. Uh, I'm just so glad that God's done that for you. It just kind of went away. Well, next week, the guy comes, and he said, preacher, God talked to me again this morning. He came, he talked to me. Now, the preacher's a little concerned by now, and he says, I've got to remedy this. So he thinks, and he comes up with a plan. He says, oh, well, friend, I'm just so glad about that. And I, I just got, I'm just thrilled that you can actually talk to God. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home this week, and if God comes and talks to you again, I want you to ask him about something I did a number of years ago. Nobody in this world knows but the other individual involved. I was never caught. I never paid a penalty, nothing. But I've done it, and it's lying out there. And it's one of the things I've been forgiven for. Now, I want you to ask God. If you talk to God, you can prove it to me. You, you ask God what that was and have him tell you. You tell me. He said, I will. He's excited. He went home and he come back and he comes in before the service early, before he can say a thing. The preacher just kind of smart aleck, he says. Well, did you talk to God this morning? The guy says, I sure did. Just like him other time. God came and talked to me and I talked to him. Oh, really? He said, did you ask, did you do what I asked you to do? I did. You asked him to convey to you and tell you and reveal what that sin was? I asked him, I told him, that's what you said. What did he say? Did he tell, what, what did he say? He said, to tell you, he didn't know, he forgot. I don't know, I forgot. Now that's the kind of God I want to spend eternity with. That's the eternity I want to land in. Where my sin has not only been erased and eradicated by the blood of Christ, but it'll never be remembered in my mind anymore. Unlike the sinner who will remember it all. And you talk about intense throwing fire or fuel on the fire, it'll be the memory that'll do that. So I want to go to a place where I can't remember. 
In this world, Norm, it, or Sherm, it's a, it's a tough thing to start losing our memory. He told me back there. I said, man, you're doing a good job this week, Sherm. And he said, yeah, but I struggle. You know how he shakes his head and he looks down. I, I struggle with my memory. <laughs> but we go into a place where that's going to be a good thing, Sherm. It's going to be a wonderful thing. That's where I want to land. Now, while we get a song ready, and the piano player, come back up here. If there's anyone here tonight that's counting the cost, and if God spoke to your heart, and you kind of, as I talked, and revealed some things about the church and, and about the people of God and about Jesus, I know your mind went. It just naturally just took off in a vein of its own, and you started recalling a Sunday school teacher, an old pastor, some people that did a kindness. How Jesus has visited you and spoke to you and been merciful and died for you. About the church as an entity and as a whole that you've attended and at one time were a part of and now no more. You show up occasionally, but you're not ready to come in. All of these things, as I stirred your memory, you reviewed them with me. But in hell, they won't have to be stirred by anybody or anything. You'll just have total recall total recall is what it is it's what it's called in this world and it's an awful way to live with a memory with so many regrets but it's even worse to die and never being able to forget them. I tell you, God forgive me if I'm saying something I shouldn't about myself, but there have been a couple times, and for anyone who is, is suffering or Alzheimer's is unfolding, I don't mean to demean, diminish, or, or say anything about it, Sherm, that would be, but in my mind, sometimes the devil comes and the things that have happened Opportunities lost. Reaping what I've sown. I actually thought to myself one time, Alzheimer's wouldn't be such a bad thing. God forgive me if I, I'm saying anything that offends you. I don't mean to, but you know what I'm saying? Wouldn't it be good sometimes not to have a memory? <laughs> but look what you'd give up. The memories you make that are endearing every day with your family and your friends and your church. So we know that we don't want that to happen. But in hell, you give a whole lot for the flames to be quenched. And you'd probably give just about as much to lose your mind and your memory. Neither one will happen. Will you stand with me? And so, Father, we ask that while we review our life a little bit and think about yes, I remember when I was a part of the church. I remember the people of God and how good they were to me. I know a number of times when Christ has come and stood at the door and knocked. God, we pray that you'll speak to those hearts tonight, whether they be home, in their car, or wherever they're at, but certainly here in this auditorium. Speak to us and draw us one more time. And help us to remember 
the opportunities we've squandered and not to take advantage or for granted this one that's afforded us tonight. It'll be one more, one more time and one more thing to remember when we've lost it all. So Holy Spirit, deal graciously with these hearts tonight that need it most. In Jesus' name, we place them in your tender, caring hand for conviction. Amen. Page 137, 137. Oh, sinner, heed the Spirit's voice. Day is past. Oh, while he's pleading, make thy choice. This call may be his last. Is there not one here tonight that would say, I need to, I need to come to the Lord? I need to surrender my mind, my heart, my spirit, my soul. Would you not come? Last thing I'll try to say, I, I'm, I'm, but listen, the, the tone of this song right here and the, the softness reminds me of another invitation song we've sang so many times, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is Calling. Can you just kind of sense tonight that softly and tenderly? Now I want you to contrast that with the horrors of hell. Nothing softly and nothing tenderly there. The screaming the pleading, the begging, and the cursing of God. After a hundred years of begging God for forgiveness, a million of cursing for not coming. I'm sure, I'm just telling you what's true. The anger, the animosity, the bitterness, born out of regrets and remembering it could have been different. The last thing anyone could preach about hell and be even close to correct is the quietness of hell. But in all of those distractions and in all of that noise, you'll hear your memory unfold constantly. Sherm and Brother Bartlett, service is yours. Thank you.